Before we start, I just want to um, just ask for your prayers for this lady that I met. Uh, just on Thursday, I had to do a, a prospect, which is look at some trees, as many of you know what I do. And uh, so this lady, she's probably in her 70s, and she came out with her head like this. And she walked out to me like this. And I, and I had to say, you know, right away, I said, what, what's going on, you know, with, with your neck? And she said she went to the hospital, and she didn't realize, so she got an x-ray, and it wasn't until four months later, they told her that she had a broken neck. So sometime, and so she thought she had a sprain. And so what happened is, is because of that, she went and started to do things that, you know, you would normally think would be okay, right? So she started to do, instead of rest, instead of get the brace. And so because of that now, her, her bone is fused, all right? So this is serious. And I said to her, I want to pray for you. I want, I want to, you know, I, I said when Davy and I come, we're going to anoint you with oil. And I did pray for her then there. But I, I believe as a church, we just say, come on. Is he, a miracle, is he a miracle maker? Is he? Come on. Yes, he is. And I believe that Karen Pollard is her name, that Jesus can heal her neck. I mean, that's pretty serious that you have to walk like this with your head looking at the ground. And I just said, oh God, this is, this is not good. And she says, she could, I, four months. It took them four months to get back to her and tell her that she had a broken neck. That's pretty serious. So let's do that right now, okay? Let's just, let's just take a moment, Holy Spirit moment right now. Man, you pray with every desperation that you would pray for yourself. You pray for her. Karen Pollard, okay? So just reach down deep inside of you right now and let's just lift this woman up. In your own prayers, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to get you to pray in your own prayers right now in your spirit just to pray for this lady, Karen Pollard, that when we go this week and anoint her with oil, we're going to pray for healing, okay? And let's believe God to heal her neck. So Jesus, right now, come on, let's pray. Just pray for her. Yes, God, you are the miracle maker. Yes, Father, we pray right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So just keep praying for her throughout the week. And just, you know, as God lays it on your heart, just, just lift her up. Uh, this morning, you know, I was, uh, this past week I've been actually uh, watching the grandchildren so Melissa and John could have some time. And I remember coming to, uh, one morning I was saying to Freya, and many of you know Freya, and uh, I said to Freya, I said, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be sad in it. And I was, was going to try to catch her, you know, see if she uh, caught on to what I was saying. And so she looked back at me. And she says, no, Jesus is happy. <laughs> Jesus is happy, Opie. And she said, Jesus loves us. Isn't that true, right? Sometimes I think we go throughout a day and we forget that. Because with all the stuff that's going on in your life right now, the circumstances, when you look at life, sometimes it doesn't deal you a good hand. 
And then we need to know we're loved. I mean, God's love for us is so amazing. I mean, I love that song, um, You're a Good, Good Father. Such a revelation in that song. Well, this morning, we're going to look at something that can actually cause us to drift. You know, I always wonder, when I look around and I look at a YMCA, it started off good. YMCA or, or the universities, they started off on a good premise. They started off on a foundation, and that foundation was God, a love for God. But somewhere along the line, something happened. They missed the most important ingredient. And as believers, we also, we can get so caught up in life, caught up in things, that we miss out on what the most, the main ingredient is in our lives. I've been reading through uh, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And um, as many of you know, I was in, in San Francisco. had the opportunity, I thought I'd fill out this application. I've been reading the book. As I said to you, the letters to the church by Francis Chan. So I had the opportunity to fill out an application because they had a four-day workshop or church intensive on, on reaching out, how they reached the city of San Francisco. And so I just applied, said, Lord, if, if this is you, then that opportunity, and it did happen. I got to go there, and it was amazing. You know, four days with 12 people, what can happen? And I'm just going to put a plug right now before I get going here. If you're not in a home, a house gathering, you need to be in one. You need to find one. You need to open your house. Talk to me. We'll help you get in. Now, a house gathering is different. It's not like a Bible study, okay? Yes, we do read Scripture. We get into the Word of God. But it's where we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. You see, it's easy to come to a church. It's easy to come on a Sunday morning sit here, right, not really know what's going on in this person's life, and then go through the week. But in a house gathering, man, you can't do that. It gets messy. You get to see the stuff that's going on in our lives. You get to see it, and that's why it's good. I've done these house gatherings, and we did one um, when we were in Wingham for three years, and we would have guys Young adults, guys, come into this group, and they would grow immensely. You see, here in this gathering, yes, it's good. You're going to hear me speak. You're going to do the worship, which is great, too. But that house gathering is where you begin to bear one another's burdens, where you begin to love on one another. Because that's what we're called to, and that's what draws people. When they begin to see your love for one another, I've got your back, brother, right? And they begin to see that, hey, I'm going to sacrifice my time to be with this guy. I don't know who he is yet. I remember when I was in Cuba, I got to know me and Marshall. I didn't, I didn't know their stories until I finally was in Cuba. Here we are in the ocean. We're doing life together because we're on a, a ministry trip. And I get to know me and Marshall. How did I get to know? How did I get to even know their history? Because I took the time. And that's what we need to do. If we're going to be strong. If we're going to be the kind of people that show this world, it's going to be through our love for one another. How much do you love that person sitting next to you? 
How much? You say, I don't know that person. That's, that's right. You probably don't. How much would you give this person? And see, that's what happens. And I'm encouraging you. I'm putting this plug in there to get into a house gathering. If you're not one in one right now, say, hey, come this fall. I want to do that. I'm going to commit to one. You know, we'll do it for a year, and then we'll split off, and we'll, we'll grow. And that's how you're going to reach the city. I mean, I saw how they were doing it in San Francisco. They were making it missional. Number one, they were devoted to the Word of God. Number two, they were devoted to worship, directly worshiping God. Number three, they were missional. We're going to go out. We're going to actually do what the Bible says. See, that's the problem sometimes, right? We get into these Bible studies, and then, you know, it's like, okay, Lazarus died. Okay, death. Let's look at the Greek word for death. Well, death, isn't death death? I mean, let's look at that word. Let's see what that word means. And then we go away from the Bible study, and what we've got, we've got a bunch of information, but nobody's actually doing, right? I mean, God is more than a concept. I mean, I remember in my walk with God, too, in my journey with God, I would actually, you know, it's like you're stalking Jesus. Right? You're stalking Jesus. Oh yeah, this is how Jesus, right? But you're actually not encountering Jesus. Guys, if we get to the point where we encounter Jesus and we encounter his love for us, it's going to radically change us. It's going to radically do something because it's so easy. Oh, I put my 10 minutes in this morning with Jesus. Let me ask you, did you do you really, really, where, where would you say your level of love where would, that, where would that hit? Number five, eight, where would that hit? I mean, I get together with some guys and we're, they're more interested and passionate about talking about golf or, or talking about, you know, different things. And what happened? I mean, if, really, what we're passionate about, we will talk about. Right? You know what? St. Augustine said this. He says, the key to change in your life I'm going to say it slow if you want to write it down. The key to change is not acts of the will. It's loves of the heart. The key to change is not acts of the will. You can try as hard as you want. You can will it as long as you want. But it isn't that. What do you love? What's, what's in here? What's the ultimate love? What if? Sometimes we do that. What if? What if? I had this relation. What if I had this guy? What if I had this situation? We, we put these what ifs about there. And that determines our ultimate love. Our ultimate loves. What is the ultimate love of your heart? Ask yourself that right now. What is the ultimate love? What do you love? What do you really, really love? I had to ask myself that question. Because if I really, really, if there are other loves in my heart, I'm not going to, that time with Jesus is not going to be as important. I'm not going to make, I'm going to sacrifice. Maybe it means getting up earlier. Maybe whatever it is. Because I want to get to know him. I want to read the word of God. Okay, so this morning, let's do that. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 95. So we got basically some scriptures we're going to go to. We're going to go to Psalm 95. All right. We're going to see the people of Israel. We're going to look at the people of Israel. We're going to go to jump to Numbers 20. And then we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then, and I'll say it again. Some of you are going, whoa, okay. Got to write it down. But we're going to get into Scripture this morning. This is the Word of God. And it's something that I recognize in my own, in my own life. 
in my own heart of hearts that we all got to consider and ask ourselves these questions. Okay, so first, night, first one, we're going to read it. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. I love that. Make a joyful noise. That's an indication. If you're doing that, you're in love with Jesus. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For why? Because the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. We need to be reminded of that today. He's still on the throne. No matter what's going on, he's still on the throne. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, today if you hear his voice, two nights ago I had a dream, and in my dream I heard this, and I woke up and it was so present on my, on my mind. It was, the time is now for the chains to fall. The time is now for the chains to fall. You see, I always wonder why, why it is that if, you know, we say, what if I saw a miracle, then I would be really, then I would be sold out for Jesus. Right? That's not true. Don't kid yourself. That's not true. We're going to see that with Israel too. They saw. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for 40 years. I loathe that generation. <clears throat> I had to look up the word loathe. Loathed is strongly disgusted. That's what that word means. God says, I'm disgusted with this generation. Because why? They are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So wait a minute. <clears throat> What's going on? What is Meribah all about? Let's go to Numbers 20. Let's look over there. Turn to Numbers 20. Some of you on your phones, you can just press it. Numbers 20. I love hearing the sound of pages. All right. Numbers 20. There it is. Guys, this was so serious. I mean, Israel was being led by Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Numbers means in the wilderness. And it's quite the book to read because as you look at Israel, as you look at the way they were going in the wilderness, you begin to see how Aaron and Moses were leading them. And there it is, number verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against... <clears throat> Can I get some water, please? <clears throat> against Moses and Aaron. Okay, it's mutiny. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing some mutiny. And the people, thank you, brother. 
Time for water. <clears throat> so what we see here, here they are. There's no water. Pretty, pretty sad situation. You need water. Just, just demonstrated that right now. That was pretty good. I didn't think of that one. <laughs> Can take another swig. <clears throat> Anyways, there were no water bottles. <clears throat> so here they are. That's the problem, especially when you're in the wilderness. Okay. Because it gets pretty hot in the wilderness, it gets pretty dry in the wilderness. And there they are, Israel. And, you know, it should have taken them two weeks to get to arrive at the promised land. Two weeks, guys. But 40 years? So God is trying, God is using this as an example, because we can learn from this, of what was going on here. All of a sudden, and you got to remember, this is not just at the beginning of the journey. This is on the journey. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to have some honesty here. It's, isn't it amazing how God meets our needs, right? And then the next time something comes up, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. That's why I love it. If you don't have a prayer journal, you need to have a prayer journal, and you need to mark down the dates and the time when God answers your prayers. So then that, when you get into a moment again, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. <clears throat> what am I going to do? Turn back. And look at your, your prayer journal and see how God... Now, he may not have answered it right when you wanted him to, right? And that's a lot of times we say, God, what if? And God doesn't always come through the way you want him to come through. Because he has to teach you. And if he did come through the way you wanted him, you may not learn. And then you're back again at square one. Forty years, boom, boom. You had to learn. And that's why God's saying, come on. You've seen how I work. You know me. We know the verses. We know the promises. Sometimes I ask myself that too, you know. I mean, I, I know these promises. I know I should be the most joyful person. Right? Yeah. And I knew I wasn't. Why wasn't I? Because I hadn't made me my focus on other things. Where do you get your significance from? From your job? From other people's approval? From having a, a, a maybe you're not married yet. And you're putting that, oh, I'm putting all my stakes in that one. That guy, he's going to fix me. Is he? Well, my parents didn't fix me. And I'm angry at my parents because they didn't fix me. Wait a minute. And what we don't realize is that the lover of our souls is waiting patiently. He's waiting patiently. You see, Jesus loved you way more and anyone here could love you. Anyway. Okay, we need to get back. All right. Numbers 21. Or sorry, 20. Chapter 20. Here we are. In the wilderness. So here's the question. This is, these guys are upset, man. They're really like, whoa. There's no water here. But wait a minute. Didn't God give us food in the I mean, our shoes are not wearing out. Come on. They were in the wilderness for. They didn't even have to have a change of clothes. Wouldn't you love that? I mean, well, maybe not. 
okay, it was nice to have another pair, right? But they had the same clothes, and it wasn't wearing out. I mean, these guys were really well taken care of in the wilderness. But here it is. There's no water. God, where are you? How many have done that, right? God, where are you? Right? In the midst of this. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Oh man, I wish we had died. Wow, when our brothers had perished before the Lord. Why have you brought this? Why have you brought us into the wilderness? And we, and we should die here, both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? There's no grain, there's no figs, there's no mangoes, there's no watermelons, there's no pomegranates, there's no uh, bananas. Some of you guys better read to make sure I'm on... Always check, make sure that the person who's reading the scripture is reading it properly. See, now if you didn't have your scripture, you know. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And I love this. They fell on their faces. I mean, this is mutiny. They're going to, Moses and Aaron know that the people aren't happy. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and the cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded it. But, oh, this is, this is tough, guys. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And what did Moses do? didn't obey God. He lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank. And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through him he showed himself holy. <clears throat> so now we have a situation. Moses now is in a situation where he will not be able to go to the promised land because he did not follow what God had told him to do. How many of us have ever quarreled with the Lord? Come on, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, so have I. Or we've complained. We don't like it where we're at. We're at this situation. And God is trying to bring us to the point that the things that we think will satisfy won't satisfy us. When we look at God, when we look at the encounter of Israel in the wilderness, it's so easy. They say the Christian life is like a cross-country run. It's not a short-distance run. It's a journey with God. And we want to stay on fire we want to keep ourselves on fire for God. Now I want us to go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. And I want us to look at this. This, this passage here, it says this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Wow. Is this in the Bible? And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, when I look at that passage of Scripture, when I see how Jesus is, is, is telling us to love Him above all else, it shows us what He's done for us. When we look at what He's done for us, how He's rescued us, He deserves it all. When I sing that song, I will build my life. When you sang that, you are worthy of it all. Is he? Is he really worthy of it all? Is he worthy? Because there's coming a day when all of us will give an account. There's coming a day when we'll have to say, God, are you really? And I had to ask myself these questions. When we got together as a group in that gathering, we get to see, is he really worthy? Is Jesus worthy? of the sacrifices that we have to make when He calls us out. And I have to say in my prayers, Jesus, You're more important than my wife. Jesus, You're more important than my grandchildren. Jesus, You deserve all, all the love. That's a good prayer to make, is Jesus, You are more important than this relationship. Jesus, You are more important than this, my career. Because this is what happens, and our hearts are like an idol factory. And the first commandment of all, in the Ten Commandments, one of the first commandments, it says, what? What's the first of the Ten Commandments? We should have no other God before me. Right? But we so easily do that. I do that. I so easily get off, you know, off on the wrong course and realize, wait a minute, I need to give back. I need to really realize. Because Jesus is looking for lovers. Lovers of himself. Lovers. When we realize the sacrifice he made, 1 Corinthians 10, let's go there too as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these are warnings for us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were also under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. I remember when we were in India, and India is a place that there's so many idols. I mean, Hindu, the gods, Hindus, there's so many gods. And <clears throat> we were in a situation where we are reaching out, and this evangelist was reaching out to one of these, these guys, and he was struggling with alcohol. He had an addiction to alcohol. And he was having a hard time overcoming it. And I, he said to the evangelist, he said this, he says, if Jesus is more powerful, because I've tried all these other gods, 
And he had them. He had them all on his shelf. He had these different gods on his shelf. And he says, if Jesus is more powerful, if he can really, really do what he says, if, if, if I can overcome this addiction, I'll throw all my idols away. And I'll worship him. Right? And so what happened in this situation is this guy got to the point where he actually he surrendered. And the power of Jesus came upon him to the point where he had no more desire for alcohol. When you begin to see Jesus as the only source of meeting your needs, because if you think anything else can meet your needs, you're going to get off the path. You're going to start to wander. You're going to start to drift. And this is, this is so like, when I looked at this, I started to think, wow, this is so true of our, the, the culture we live in today. It's such a corrupt culture. They did this test where they asked uh, from guys from 18 to 25, those who were in the church and those out of, out of, outside of the church. And they basically did this uh, test where they wanted to see how many of these guys thought premarital sex was okay. And the percentages were so similar. With the guys who were told by the church, no, this is not right. God, you know, this is to be saved from marriage. With the guys that were in the world, there was, this, as far as the difference. And what had happened there was they allowed the culture to dictate to them. You see? They allowed the culture. When we look at Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and when King Nebuchadnezzar said, listen, I'm going to build this image of myself, this golden image. And I want everyone at the sound of this music, you're going to bow down wherever you are. I don't care where you are, you're going to bow down to that. You're just going to allow, you're just going to do that. And well, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego wouldn't have none of that. And we're going to bow down to the culture. And the culture has infiltrated the church. I would gather that, that some of us here have allowed the culture to dictate how we should live. And Shadrach and Abednego, they knew. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they knew that the fire was coming. And you know the amazing statement about these three young men, they were brought up in a Babylonian culture. They didn't isolate themselves from the culture. They were inside the culture, but they had developed such a passion for Jesus that they would not allow the culture to tell them what was right, what was wrong, because they had an authority above them. I love that. I have the authority Jesus has given me. I have the authority. There's a song, beautiful song that I've learned. I have the authority, Jesus. I will open up my mouth and miracles will start breaking out because I have the authority Jesus has given me. I will lift my voice and shout, and walls will start breaking down. I have the authority Jesus has given me. We have forgotten who has the authority. And that authority comes through Jesus. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego knew. And I love their statement. When they came to the king, they said to the king, the king said, why don't you do this? Why don't, you know, no, we have a God. And they began to declare who that God was. 
You see, when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter him in that intimate place as I have, and I know some of you, I know that there are those of you here who also have encountered his tangible presence, and you've encountered the love of God, there's nothing else, nothing else that can satisfy. I don't really care about my truck. I know a lot of people like my truck. Don't care about it. Especially kids, you know, you see the grandchildren, they love that, love that, looking at that truck. I really don't, you know, but it's, I use it, it's just a tool. That's all it is. Money is just a tool. That's all it is, you know. Relationships, they're just, God brings them into our lives to bless us. But the ultimate, the ultimate love of my heart has to be Jesus when they got up there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar said, God, I love this. So they, they were worshiping. It's, it's great to come to a place like this, worship. But to worship out there too, that's a challenge. To lift the name of Jesus when you're out there. And so he said to them, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, even if God doesn't, even if God doesn't rescue us from that fiery furnace, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to give in. We're going to still stand. We're going to stand. And look what happened. The rest of the story, they got thrown into that fire furnace. And he heated up. He was so mad. He was so mad. Isn't that true today? I mean, we talk about tolerance today. But then when you say Jesus is the only way, oh, no, no. Oh, it's okay. Jesus is an option. Listen, I am telling you, and I am saying to you, Jesus is not an add-on. We cannot have Jesus as an add-on. He's either central or he's nothing. If he's not central in your play, in your life, you're playing church this morning. You're playing church. If he's not central to your life, then what are you doing? Why are you here? He's the ultimate. He says it. If I don't love him, and I love him because of what he's done in my life. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego knew that. They experienced God. And if you've never encountered the heart of the Father, it is so amazing. Maybe you're here and you're saying to yourself, I've never, never encountered the heart of the Father. He's just been a concept. Mm-hmm. I know John 3.16, I know these verses, and I, I remember in, in, in times I'll be witnessing, I'll be talking, and some people, they can tell you the Bible, what it says. But there's nothing down here. They've never experienced the power of God in their lives. He has to be the ultimate love of our hearts. And church, you will see this church come on fire. You will see yourself come on fire when he becomes the ultimate love of your heart. The morning you wake up and you say, God, you are worthy, worthy. When I was with that group in San Francisco, we were all on the same page. We were so hungry for God. It was amazing. We were in this, just a small gathering. We didn't need Hillsong to show up. We didn't need some powerful ballad guitar player to show up. We didn't need some powerful speaker. We wanted Jesus. And all of us were basic. We didn't know each other. One was from Nicaragua. Someone was from San Diego. A couple from San Diego, Oregon. And uh, from New Zealand. And we were all together. But you know, within those four days, we got so tight. So tight. 
And we started off worshiping God. And it was very simple worship. It was just, Holy Spirit, come, let's worship. And it began. And each one of us, the Spirit began to move, just like the Spirit wants to move through you. Each one of you has gifts here this morning. And you may not even know what those gifts are, but once you get into a house gathering, you will find out what those gifts are as you begin to see. And it's not about one person dominating. That's wrong. It's not about one person, just it's about all of us. Because the Spirit of God has brought us all together. You see, there's no way, like some people will say, Lloyd, do you actually, you know, cut the tree, climb the tree by yourself? No way. I, I want Davy with me. There's no way. I want Davy because something happens. I have Davy with me. Davy's my right-hand man, right? And in the church, we are a team. We are a unit. We are a unit. We need each other. So when someone's missing, where is that person? We need to disciple each other. And as we disciple, that love of God grows, right? Everyone a disciple, everyone gets discipled. I remember when I became a believer, no one discipled me. I didn't even know what spiritual warfare was about. I mean, I was young, but I still didn't have it. And even if they're 9 or 10 or 11 years old, they should be discipled. Jesus says what? Make all disciples. Make disciples, right? He's calling us. Show them what the love of God in your heart. Help them encourage. Help them see the love of God. I'm so glad that my son is in North Carolina. If I had kept him to myself, where would he be? There comes a point where you release them. And some of you are called. You're called in your job place. You're missionaries in your job place. You don't all have to be up here on the front, on the platform. But you are called and you are needed. And you have gifts. And you have a way that the Holy Spirit can empower you. Yeah. There's dynamite under your seat. Right? But so many times we allow those circumstances, right? We think, oh man, what happens if I say this? What happens if I do that? I, I'll be on the plane when I'm going to San Francisco, and I'm just saying, Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I you're an evangelist. Well, yeah, but, but still, I'm always asking, say, Holy Spirit, how can I get into this conversation with this 21-year-old girl who's probably living for the world? What am I going to say to her? Because I don't want it to be my words. I want it to be your words. So Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come through. He'll start to say to me, things, or I'll wait for a conversation. Because that's the problem sometimes, eh? we run off and do it in, in ourselves, right? But we need to, that's where the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit, I'm listening, I'm, I'm allowing you, because the Holy Spirit's going to enable you to love Jesus more too. In the Spirit, right? Because you can't do it in your flesh. No matter how much you try. You could go out of here today and say, well, I'm going to read the Scripture. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to sure, do the whole willpower thing. See how long that lasts. Come and talk to me in two weeks. We'll see how long you have. But if you start doing it out of a love, there's a difference. When you operate out of that love, and that love's cultivated as you begin to see the Father embrace you. And so then that conversation would happen. And it was out of love, right? With that person. Jesus, Jesus, I want to encounter you, God. It's you. It's your words, Lord. You know, indicators. Indicators are so important. Am I thankful? Right? Am I grateful? Or do I complain? Why am I complaining? Meribah. Man, I, it was pretty sad. Moses and Aaron had led these guys for a long time. And here they are. You know what? Let's go back to Egypt. 
Why did you bring us here? And, and I think God was just saying, you're forgetting who I am. And we can do that. We can forget. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk with the Lord, to enable us, right, to move. This morning, there's some of you who have never encountered the heart of the Father. You've never experienced God. You've never actually said, look, God, you're just, you're distant to me. I don't really know you as a personal father. That's an opportunity for you to come. There's this guy that was on the uh, transatlantic. He's really known well for doing races. He had his own 50-foot yacht. And he was taking this yacht across the transatlantic. You know, I love sailing stories. And he was taking it across and what he didn't realize in the race was there were these 50-foot waves which took off his keel. And a keel on the, on the bottom of a sailboat allows the sailboat from basically going back and forth. It's actually the balance. It keeps that boat stable in the water. But the keel broke off. With the keel broken, broken off on, the, on that yacht, that yacht ended up upside down. It was just about this much air. And he said it was like Niagara Falls being upside down. For four days, this guy was in the bottom of his boat with that much air, freezing, cold. And he said, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. I thought it was over. And then on the fourth day, he heard a knock on the bottom of the boat. It was the Royal Australian Navy coming to rescue him. He says, I've never, ever felt like that was such a born-again experience for me. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did for us, for you, for me. Left up to my own good, I'd... No way. Left up to my own choices. Israel had a time. Every time God would provide, He would redeem Israel. He's such a good God. They would make these choices to go after other things, other gods, and allow these things to dominate their life. There's a choice that each one of us has to make. It starts here. It starts now. Do you want to see the chains fall? Do you? Do you really want to see the chains fall in your life? Today's the day. It starts now. Let Jesus rescue you. Can't do it on yourself. No amount of striving, no amount of jumping through hoops, no amount of, of doing everything that you think possible would get you closer to God. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, sorry, no one can come to the Father but through me. Let's all stand this morning. Let's just stand. <sighs> mm. well, let's just have a moment, a moment where we just allow Holy Spirit to come as He has already been working in our hearts. The time is now for the chains to fall. The keys to change are not acts of the will, but loves of the heart. 
If you've actually, I believe there's some here that have compromised in your faith. You've compromised your You kind of have one foot in the culture and you have one foot with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work. And there are some of you who have never encountered the love of God. This is your moment. This is your opportunity to realize that Jesus, when he put his hands out on the cross, they were for you. When he took the nail in one hand, when he took the nail in the other hand, they were for you.